for those guys to sing because I, you don't see the gleam in their wise eyes often like they have when these guys are up here performing. <laughs> uh, look, this morning, I, I think this is going to take two parts, okay? I'm going to read First uh, Corinthians 4, verse 2, and, and it might not seem like we're headed in the right direction as as we talk about the things I want to share with you this morning. But the next two Sundays, I want us to talk about stewardship. And stewardship in the scriptural sense, the first thing you probably think about is, is giving money to the Lord. And that is part of it. But I want to emphasize that's only part of it, okay? And so we're actually going to kind of set the stage for next Sunday when we'll talk about um, stewardship. And stewardship includes uh, not only giving money to the Lord, but giving him our time, giving our talents and gifts for his honor and glory. Stewardship is about the wise use of our bodies and filling our minds with the things of God. Stewardship is about being faithful to presenting the gospel. And I'm not just talking about preaching, but I'm talking about like the missions programs that we support through the cooperative program. And, and I want to mention this. Linda Hatcher, you were telling me before church that the Actines made 18 dresses yesterday for the children in, in Haiti. And folks... All of this is about stewardship. So please, again, when we talk about stewardship, I don't want you to think that I'm just talking about money and I'm trying to get you to give more money to the church. What I'm trying to get us to do is look at God's maximum blessings and so often our minimum stewardship, giving God just enough to get by. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather around your word, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would be given to freedom in each of our minds and hearts to speak, not simply about the one verse that I'm going to read, but about many other verses that will be read this morning. Father, help us, Lord, that we will allow you to examine our hearts. Lord, we praise you for all the many blessings you give us. And, Lord, sometimes we give back as little as we can to you. Again, not about money, but about our time and our talents. Lord, I just pray that you'll speak to every heart, and Lord, that we will become faithful stewards for you. And Lord, I pray that this church will be faithful because you have blessed us in so many, many ways. Bless us now as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2 says this, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. This morning, I want to share the inspiration for these next couple of sermons. Have you ever read a Bible verse or devotional that, and I'm using an old expression, that hit you like a ton of bricks? Tuesday morning, as I was preparing to do my personal devotional, I was very frustrated. I knew a lot needed to be done that day, and so I was in a rush, to be honest with you, and I felt bad because Monday I hadn't done my 
devotional because so many things were going on that day, so I already felt as if I were behind. And as I began to read my devotional for Monday, and you remember when Norman Hunt was here, Norman had copies of that devotional book. It's entitled One Year Devotional Prayer Book, Living the Life. Many of you purchased one of those. Norman gave me one. But I want to read to you the devotional, part of the devotional. Matter of fact, just three sentences out of the devotional for week 33, Monday. And please look at this on the overhead, okay? When God does something on our behalf, he doesn't just do the minimum required. He goes exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what we can imagine. I've heard it said that just one sacrificial drop of Jesus' blood would have been enough to pay the full price for every sin committed. But folks, as I read that devotional and as I read this thought, God doesn't just do the minimum required. He goes exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what we can imagine. As I read those words, they jumped off the page. And I began to rejoice as I thought about God's maximum blessings upon me and upon you and upon our church family. But I wanted to cry as I thought about my minimum stewardship. I wanted to cry as I thought about giving God just enough to feel good about myself. I got a little bit upset with myself because I was already frustrated and I felt like I needed to be in a rush to do my devotional so that I could say, well, God, I read your word and I had a time of prayer. And if anybody in the church sees me today, I can tell them I did my devotional. I wanted to feel good about myself, not worrying how God saw my heart. And God began to speak to me about a lifelong problem I've had. And that lifelong problem is just doing enough to get by. And let me explain, and I'm going to be very, very personal, but let me explain. In public school, and please don't be offended, school teachers, but in public school, which I must honestly admit I hated, the only reason I went to school was my mother. My mother had only a third-grade education, and she made me and my two brothers go to school because she wanted us to have something that she didn't have, and that was a high school education. Mama would threaten us that if we didn't do good in school, there'd be consequences. So I began to do just enough to get by to make my mother happy. I'd do just enough to pass. And that attitude about doing just enough to get by began to extend into other areas of my life. Again, I'm going to be personal. My mother taught me and my brothers how to cook and do housework. But I promise you, when I was doing the housework, I did as little as I could, just enough to get by. When we were working in the yard, and our yard had a lot of trees And I hated to rake leaves because it was always on a day that I wanted to go hunting. But I would do just simply enough to get by to satisfy my mother. But that attitude began to creep more and more into my life. For about four or five summers growing up, I worked on the tobacco farm with my uncle and aunt who were sharecroppers. I remember the first summer I made $33, and I thought that was a tremendous amount of money, but... 
I, I did just enough to get by, just enough to keep my uncle off of my back. In the 10th grade, I worked for a contractor, just enough to get by. At the end of the summer, the contractor said, I think you're a pretty nice fellow, but you ought to find something else to do beside drive nails and dig footings. Just enough to get by. When I was in the 11th and 12th grade, I worked in a grocery store that had a small meat market. Again, just doing enough to get by. And folks, here's the point that I'm leading up to. When I became a Christian and felt the call to the ministry, I truly wanted to set the world on fire. But soon afterward, I sensed myself falling back into that old familiar attitude. Just do enough to get by. And just as being, just as my goal had been to be a C student in public school simply to get by and keep my mama off of my back, I became a C Christian. And here's the question that you and I need to ask ourselves. Are we guilty as Christians and as churches of expecting God's maximum blessings but giving minimum stewardship? I've probably told you about this man several times already. I can't get him off of my mind. A number of years ago, I was going into Durham Regional Hospital, and there was an older gentleman and you know, if you've gone into Durham Regional, they have those benches out there, and they still allowed smoking at that time. And the old man, I couldn't help but notice him. He had his hospital gown on. He had an IV in his arm and the IV pole, and he was sitting there smoking a cigarette. And I'm not knocking what he was doing, but he had a ball cap on. And on the ball cap was this saying, how much sin can I do and still go to heaven? And folks, again, it points out Satan would want you and I to do the very least we can to get by as Christians and as churches. And I've seen this attitude of just doing enough to get by, to spill over into the lives of Christians, myself, and also of churches. But folks, I want to point two things out here. God has blessed us. Can any one of us say that God is not? Now, we've had tough spots in our lives. I know that. All of us have. Can anybody say that God has not blessed this church? And I'm not just talking about the buildings, folks. God has met our needs throughout the years. A church that got started right after the Depression. God has blessed this church. I don't know what we're in right now, but God is continuing to bless this church. But some of us, and I include myself in this, some of us are saying, please, God, let me do just as little for you as I can to get by and make you happy and make me feel good about myself. And folks, I'm talking to myself, okay? If you think I'm trying to come down on anybody, I'm coming down on myself. Many of us adopt the attitude, God, please don't place any demands on me that re require sacrifice or long-term, lifelong commitment. God, please don't place any demand on me that would require me to grow spiritually. 
And folks, God does not want us to get saved, born into the kingdom of God, and stand still and tread water until either His Son comes back for us or we enter heaven through death. God wants us to grow in our faith. God wants us to move forward and get out of our comfort zone. But so often as Christians, you and I say, Lord, let me dictate as a Christian the life and level of commitment I want to do. And this thought hit me this week. We want the benefits of the cross without picking up our crosses and following Jesus. It's okay for the Lord Jesus to carry his cross, but not for me and not for my church. In the words of Jesus found in Luke 9, 23, begin to touch my heart. Look at this verse, Luke 9, 23. And Jesus said to all. Now, folks, look at this. Jesus is not just talking to those 12 disciples, but to everyone who is following him. Jesus said to all, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. What's that next word? Daily. Take up his cross daily, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesday nights. But let that man take up his cross daily and follow me. Folks, I believe from the word of God that after you and I come to know Christ as our Savior, he desires that many things begin to happen in our life. Number one, the Lord desires that we make him not only our Savior, but our Lord. And that means that Jesus rules and reigns in our hearts. That we're serving him. We've been changed as these men spoke and sang about. And folks, one of the changes is that we no longer control and dictate our lives, but the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us and gave himself for us. He rules and he reigns in our hearts. And secondly, that we become Jesus' stewards. Now, again, next Sunday, we're going to define what the word steward means, and we're going to, we're going to point out many assets of being a steward for Christ. And folks, also, the Lord wants our lives to give glory unto him and to the Father. Folks, look at this verse in Matthew 5, 16. I believe we've read this in the last couple of months. But look at this verse, Matthew 5, 16. Jesus again speaking. Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to who? And it does not say to Herbert Brown. It does not say to any particular individual It does not say give glory to Teresa Baptist Church, but it says that your good works may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And folks, so often we want the glory. That's one of the biggest issues that I face in my life. Please pray for me that I'll be humble before the Lord. Because if I'm building up myself, then the Lord Jesus is being pushed down. And if you and I are doing that with our lives, if we're building up ourselves, if we're building up this church, then the Lord Jesus Christ is being pushed down. He wants us to give glory to the Father in heaven. 
And folks, there's something else. In one of the, on the little missions video, one of the ladies who had converted to Christianity, who had come to know the Lord, said that she wanted to be a blessing to others. You and I must see from the scriptures that God blesses us so that we can become a blessing to others. And that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter, chapter 12, verse 2. The context of this, God has just called Abraham to leave his homeland and to go to a land that he would show him. And God was going to make him a great nation. Let me read this verse, Genesis 12, 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Now, it doesn't stop there. Now, folks, all of us would want God to make us great and bless us and make our name great, but God gives the reason why. So that you will be a blessing. Folks, within the Word of God is a picture that God blesses us so that we can become a blessing to others. Abraham has one of the greatest effects on history because God blessed him and he in turn in obedience to God became a blessing to others. And folks, one of the great pictures of a faithful steward is that person takes what God has blessed them with and uses that to bless others. And this can be applied in so many ways. If God has given you a voice to sing, get involved in a singing ministry. If God has given you the gift of visiting others and just showing love, encouragement, Get involved with a visitation ministry. On and on it could go. How God has blessed us, we are to bless others. And folks, the Lord wants us to understand that as he gave his all for us, we should give our all for him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And folks, this is such a powerful verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all. Jesus died for everyone on this planet that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, after you and I come to know Christ, it is his desire that we don't live anymore for ourselves, but we live for him. Now, I hope by this time you've asked this question in your hearts and minds. Why in the world are we talking about this now? The holidays are here. This is a time to be excited. It's a time to enjoy the season. But folks, within these coming weeks, it's a time to acknowledge, first of all, all, the, all of God's blessings upon us. And folks, this week, and I hope especially this Thursday as you meet with your family, that you and I will sit down and itemize God's blessings. Folks, you and I should not be ashamed to acknowledge that God has blessed us. And as you and I get ready to celebrate Christmas, we're getting ready to celebrate the greatest gift of all. And that is the coming of the Son of God to be the Savior of the world. And folks, when you and I begin to thank God for all of our blessings, when you and I begin to thank God for the coming of his son, you and I will come to a realization of God's maximum blessings upon us. 
Again, I know that many of you have gone through difficult times, but is there anybody here that can say, God has not blessed me? Is there any of us that if we sit down and really itemize God's blessings upon us, would not say God's withheld anything from us? But there's something else I believe will happen as you and I look at God's blessings. We will be convicted of our minimal stewardship, giving God just enough to get by. And here's the direction that I want us to go today and next Sunday. First of all, I want to give some biblical examples of God's maximum blessings. And next Sunday, we'll look at how you and I can be maximum stewards. Let me give you just a few examples from the scripture of God's maximum blessings. Let me, first of all, go to the Old Testament. In Genesis 32.10, and I want you to look at this verse as it comes up on the overhead. I want to read this verse, and then I want to quickly give you the background of what's going on here. In Genesis 32.10, there's a most remarkable statement by a man named Jacob. Jacob says this, I am not worthy of the least of all thy, the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown unto thy servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Now, folks, to read that verse, just to pull it out and read it, it doesn't seem to have that much power. But let me give you some background of Jacob's life. Jacob was one of the twins born to Isaac. You remember he had a brother named Esau. Jacob lied to his father Isaac to get the blessing of the covenant. And let me tell you what's going on when that happens Jacob sought to take over the plan for his life that God had. Let me read a note to you out of the full life study Bible. If only Jacob had trusted God and committed his way to the Lord, he would have gained the blessing in God's own time. Yet he lied twice to obtain the blessing in his own way. You know that story well, that Isaac had gotten old, he was blind, Jacob and his mother concocted a story. Uh, normally, the father would pass the blessing on to the oldest son. Esau was not a godly person. Esau was turning away from the God of Isaac. Jacob was not really living a godly life at that point in time, but he concocted a lie to get the blessing from his father. And it just broke the family up. It busted the family up. Jacob had to flee for his life from his brother Esau. He had to give up his home and his possessions. He lived many years in exile. And folks, at the end of his life, as he is standing before Pharaoh, and this is not going to be on the overhead, but in Genesis 47, 9, speaking to Pharaoh, Jacob says, My years have been few and difficult. But folks, look back at Genesis 32:10. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown thy servant, for only with my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Now, what is this all about? 
Jacob had to get out of town because Esau was going to kill him. And he wandered around for years. It's, some, it's just some powerful stories. You remember he went to Laban's house and there he got tricked by Laban. I'm going to get these names probably mixed up. He wanted to marry Rachel, but he got Leah. Remember he had to work seven years for each one of the women. Y'all remember, are y'all with me this morning? And I knew this was going to be a hard sermon to present. But the time comes and God says, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and begin your life where it should have been. And as Jacob is going back, he is struggling. He knows that Esau is going to kill him. And one night, in a moment alone with God, Jacob looks back on his life and he says, God, I am not worthy of any of your love and your faithfulness. When I crossed this Jordan, I only had a staff in my hand. And as I go back, I've got two wives, I've got 12 youngins, I've got all these herds and all these riches. You have blessed me in many, many ways. And folks, here's my point. If you and I, like like Jacob, look back over our lives, even as sinful and as imperfect as we have been, has not God richly blessed us? Has he not poured out his maximum blessings on us? Look at Psalms 23, and this is going to be on the screen. I tell you, the more I read Psalms 23, the greater this thing gets. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Look at that verse. I love the way the Good News Bible translates this. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Have you ever thought about God in that way? All I need is God. Now, he gives me all these other blessings, but the main need of my heart and of my life is God himself. And folks, listen to this. I have everything I need, perhaps not everything we want, but all we need. And there's something I have found out about our God. God keeps back from us what would hurt us and hinder us. Sometimes we get angry with God and say, God, if you love me, why don't you give me whatever it is we're desiring? Because God loves us and knows that it would hurt us or hinder us. You know, I've got a lot of wants that God hadn't supplied. And I don't think he's going to do it because he knows what's best for me. I've told you this story before. One of my wants is 300 acres with a five-acre pond, a swamp, hardwood ridges, all the deer and all the turkey. That's one of my wants. God's not giving it to me, and I don't think he's going to give it to me because he knows if he gives me that, I'll spend time on the pond and in the woods instead of being with you guys. You might want me to get that so I wouldn't bother you so much. In verses 2 and 3, listen to this. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know what David is saying here? That God himself has been at work in David's life. And listen to this. He gives David peace and rest. He gives David new strength. He guides David throughout his life. And you and I know about this man, David. He had made many mistakes and many sins, but God had poured out his maximum blessings upon him. And listen to what he says in verse 4. 
Folks, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Whatever circumstance that we face, whether it's life-threatening or whether it seems like it's going to turn our world upside down, in the moments of greatest darkness in our lives and the ones that we love, who is always with us? God. Everybody else on this planet might turn their backs on us, but guess who is with us? God is. Maximum blessings. Maximum presence. And listen to this. You're with me, you're riding your staff, they comfort me. Look at verse 5. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. If we will stay... There was, there was an old saying when I was in college, if you stay at the glory spout, your cup will overflow. And the whole point of that was if you stay in the will of God, if you stay close to him, your cup will run over. And folks, one of the reasons that my cup so often is so dry and yours is because we're not at the glory spout. We're not in the presence of God. And folks, listen to verse 6. I love this verse. Surely goodness and mercy, those were two, two words in the Old Testament that describe the love of God, the grace of God in the New Testament. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me how many days? All the days of my life. But now, folks, look. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, you think about verse 6 for just a minute. God's mercy and his goodness are going to be with us from day to day to day. There will not be a day when God's love and mercy is not with us. And, folks, guess what happens at the end of our life? Our final destination is what? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A lot of people struggle. Is there a heaven? What does the word say? I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, there you may be also. The maximum blessings of God means that from day to day, God's going to be with us. I've got three, three New Testament examples, and I'll close, okay? When Paul is in prison being persecuted, he sends the letter of Philippians to the church at Philippi. And listen to what he says in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We might be the poorest person materially on the face of the earth, but if we got Jesus Christ in our hearts and he's our Savior, we got riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The next example is 2 Corinthians 8 9. The greatest riches of all, the greatest blessings of all, is the mercy and grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. What is Paul saying? Jesus, on his throne in heaven, seated next to the Father, and all the heavenly host are giving praise and honor to him. And what is the decision he makes for you and me? He leaves his throne. He becomes a man. He goes to a cross. He's put to death. 
past few Wednesday nights in studying the, the gospel of Luke, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, have gotten on Jesus' case. Because Jesus points out that we are to be good stewards for God. And there's a wrong way that we can use money. Well, you know what? The, the Pharisees equated the riches of this life as being a result of our being obedient to God. And they looked at Jesus, who was a pauper, who was poor as dirt, who had followers who were poor as dirt, and they said, you cannot be the son of God because you're not being blessed like we are materially. When Jesus died on the cross, he emptied himself and became that poor man that lived on this earth so that you and I could have riches in heaven. That's maximum blessings. And finally, I want to read 1 Corinthians 2.9. And Paul here is quoting from Isaiah 64.4 and 65.17. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, listen. God's maximum blessings are for us right now and for us throughout eternity. Folks, on and on we could go. But here's the point. God has given and will continue to give throughout eternity his maximum blessings upon his children. I believe that God God has a plan for our lives that that plan would be a journey of our life to have his maximum blessings upon us. That's what he desires for us. And folks, it's not all about money. It's about fulfillment. It's about having peace of heart and mind. It's about living the abundant life. It's about having a Savior who holds us by our hand and who caresses us when we feel failures and when we feel separated from others that we love. But he wants to do all that. That's his nature. He is a God who gives maximum blessings. But with all of this in our minds and hearts, can we do anything less in this life than to be faithful stewards? And folks, next Sunday, that's what we're going to look at. Again, as we begin this study, the Apostle Paul says, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And I want to challenge you as I challenge myself. Are we doing just enough to feel good about ourselves as Christians? Are we doing just enough to get by? Or have we given our hearts and our lives and our church completely and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ? God help us that we'll not hold anything back for his honor and for his glory. Let us pray together. Father, when the word of God speaks to us about how so often we're not being faithful stewards, how we're rushing through life trying to find things that we want to do to make us happy, when we push you to the corner and only bring you to the center of our life when some crisis happens, 
Father, help us to see that, Lord, you want us to be good stewards. You want us to be found faithful and not only in bringing tithes and offerings to you, but in giving our talents and gifts, in giving our time, in giving our bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, most of all, you want us to be found faithful in sharing the gospel with others. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help us move past just doing enough to get back. And I pray, Father, that as you pour your maximum blessings out on us, we'll give you maximum stewardship. In these moments of invitation, Father, I pray that you'll speak and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen.